Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It's been years in the works and it's finally here. And if you've been there, it's probably something you've talked to your friends and family about already. I'm Andrew Thien and this is Beat Check with Your Oregonian. Up next, Michael Russell, restaurant reporter and critic for The Oregonian and Oregon Live. Yes, we talked about Con, the best new restaurants of the year in 2022, what the latest trends are in this still recovering industry and what may be yet to come in 2023. Here's our conversation. Michael Russell, thanks for coming back on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, Michael, where are you right now? I am walking uh, north of Hollywood. Uh, I guess I'm getting close to uh, moving toward Irvington now at this point. I'm trying to burn some calories after eating at many, many restaurants for our new restaurant guide. (laughs) That's obviously the reason we're talking. This is one of my favorite conversations we've done through the years where I get to touch base with you and see kind of what you've been eating and what, you know, you've got your fingers on the pulse of the food industry in this town. And before we jump into kind of your list for this year, I mean, we, we've had conversations throughout the years, Michael, about like various trends and whatnot. And I'm wondering kind of like, where are we at right now at this point in time? You know, this industry has been battered by the pandemic, which we've talked about, but I mean, where are we at right now? Like what's the kind of the overall picture from your perspective? Well, I think it's a great time to be in the pop-up game right now in Portland because there are a lot of empty restaurants out there from the pandemic and a lot of them are being filled with you know food carts that are looking to open restaurants or popular farmers market stands i think i counted five of my top 10 new restaurants started as pop-ups one was a cart one was a farmer's market stand one was doing pizza dinners for weddings in, you know, Willamette Valley area. So there are a lot of landlords out there that are sick of not getting any rent on their spaces and they're willing to take a chance on someone who might not have a ton of experience running their own business, which is probably not the way it was three years ago. Yeah. I feel like when we were talking previously like if we go back three years to when we, I, I think it was honestly the first episode of this podcast, it was basically all the superstars at the time of Portland dining, opening new spots, whether it was, um, or teaming up to open new spots like Eam, for example. Mm-hmm. That's right. Eam was Matt's uh, barbecue and uh, Earl Ninsom from, uh, uh, at the time he ran a restaurant called Padi and another one called Longbon. And there was a time when landlords would just, you know, go get their leasing agent to open up the old Rolodex and go down. First, you'd call Andy Ricker and see if he might want to put a pock pock in your building. And then you'd call 
Gabriel Rucker from Naomi Pomeroy and on and on. You know, a lot of those chefs don't even live in Portland anymore. Mm -hmm. Andy Ricker lives in Thailand. John Gorham from Toro Bravo lives in um, the sort of central Oregon's uh, Sun River, Bend area, Redmond area. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, times have changed. And the, the places that you used to call and used to be like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll put a little big burger there. Those chefs and restaurant owners are not as interested in taking a big risk right now. Um, which means there's a lot of opportunity. And, you know, we're seeing, we can go down some of the names of the lists, but um, yeah. again, like I said, good time to be a pop. -up. With that whole context in mind, let's just kind of push that aside for a moment and go straight to the top, I guess, for the restaurant that we've talked about, um, I think either a year or maybe even two years ago. And that is from a very well-known chef in town. Khan is your best new restaurant of the year. Obviously, this has been um, acclaimed from before it opened, but uh, what's it like for people who haven't been there? Well, I'll just go back in time a little bit to 2019. I saw a notice about a pop-up happening at Departure. Gregory Gourdet, who um, was the chef at Departure and also had appeared on Top Chef mm -hmm. um, and gotten all the way to the finals on that season, season 12, he was going to take a stab at cooking Haitian food. His parents are from Haiti. They moved to New York before he was born. He spent a little bit of time there when he was about four years old. But he'd gotten interested in the food of that he grew up eating as a kid and um, you know, wanted to take a stab at it. So I actually went to that pop-up, and it was around that time that he announced that he was going to open a restaurant focused on Haitian food and leave departure. So I think he's been planning it since 2018, maybe 2017. Yeah. And uh, so that, may, that marks about four years. And yeah, hey, there's another restaurant that started as a pop-up. <laughs> a little different in his case. Uh, yeah. He's a, bit, he's a bit better funded than some of the pop-ups out there. Not every pop-up uh, chef is, you know, on TV and uh, is a well-known figure outside of the the Portland area, but correct. Yeah. So, you know, obviously not everything can live up to the hype, but it seems like obviously you've got this place ranked as your restaurant of the year. Can you talk about why? <laughs> I don't know if there's any NBA fans among your listeners, but I'm going to channel Zach Lowe and say, uh, the difference between number one and number two is the same as the difference between number two and number 10 on my list. Uh, yeah, no con <laughs> was like the clear restaurant of the year. Uh, you know, I like to maybe zig or zag when it's appropriate and when, you know, or zig when people are zagging like last year, Portland monthly and eater PDX both named Republica, their restaurant of the year. It's a Mexican restaurant in the Pearl district. And I picked Magna Cucina, which was a Filipino restaurant that I really loved. And, um, you know, I remain really happy with that pick this year. I think we're all going to end up picking the same place, which is a little unfortunate, but you know, I think the bottom line is there's just not a lot of, there's just not a lot of money or ambition out there to open restaurants. And here's Gregory comes along. Like you said, he's probably the best known chef in Portland at this point. And he's been working on this for four years. He has a great strategy in place. He's got a lot of investors. He opened a beautiful dining room and his vision for the menu is really ambitious as well. Um, 
you know, I sort of compared it in the in our restaurant of the year story to like, you know, Haiti. Actually, they the word barbecue comes from an indigenous word, the Spanish sort of transliterated to barbacoa, um, mm. and you know their concept of you know putting meats on a on a rack or even burying them underground. That's kind of where we get our idea of smoked meats. Um, so I think con kind of it's more than this, but it is kind of like imagining a world where that Haitian barbecue tradition developed and developed and developed and became the envy of the world. Um, you know, his food, a lot of his food is focused on meats that are smoked and or grilled on this big fiery hearth that dominates the kitchen that he then tops with like herbs and edible flowers and really, really beautiful things. Um, the food is stunning. The dining room is stunning. And frankly, when you look around, a lot of the restaurants out there are real sort of cash-strapped, turnkey kind of operations. There's just no place in Portland that I would recommend people try to get into, if they can, more than con, which of course is easier said than done. Yeah, in your one of your write-ups about con uh, recently, you mentioned that it was kind of unlike anything Portland has ever seen, because in part because of you know what you just described and the cuisine and the money, but it's also big. It's not the small dining room at La Pigeon, for example. Yeah. And, you know, we mentioned Earl Ninsom already. Um, he has a place called Longbon that I remember writing when they opened that they were booked out for six months solid, but yeah. that was 24 seats a night, maybe two turns, you know, two seatings. And Khan, I think they turned their tables three times, so that means like three parties will sit at a table in a single night mm -hmm. and they have something like 85 seats, 80 plus seats, plus private dining, plus a bar downstairs that last time I was there had a line around the block. And so they are just like, you know, people are really coming through at a much higher rate than a place like Nodoguro, which is this really fancy Japanese restaurant, it's $250 a head. Yes, they sell out their tickets really fast too. But that's only 12 people a night, maybe four nights a week. Khan is doing, you know, astronomical numbers. I think something like 4,200 seats a month, something like that. Uh, and they fly out the door. They drop them on the second of every month and they're gone within five minutes, um, or at least they were this month. You mentioned earlier that you're not averse to zigging when others zag. And I'm, I'm wondering your thoughts. You mentioned before we started recording that this is already the most acclaimed restaurant maybe in, in Portland history. Um, you know, the Willamette Week did not have the same favorable um, review. And I'm just wondering what you thought when you saw that and if you can expand on just the piece of this being the most acclaimed restaurant maybe in Portland history. What's so funny about that is I think more people approach me about the Willamette Week review than anything else, more than my review, <laughs> more than Portland Monthly's Restaurant of the Year, more than Esquire naming it the best new restaurant in America, which is a huge, huge honor. That's a crazy thing. Like, but no, everyone wanted to talk about the cranky Willamette Week review. And, you know, if you kind of boil down what uh, Willamette Week was saying, they thought it was too noisy they thought it was the food was too spicy in a way that wasn't pleasant, uh, and maybe was there weren't enough peaks and valleys to the spice. 
and that the layout of the tables, this sort of like, there's this one section of communal tables is awkward. And the noise hasn't really bothered me. Um, you know, I think if you go to a busy restaurant filled with people anywhere, it's going to be loud. Uh, it's mm-hmm. sort of unavoidable. If you're someone who doesn't like loud restaurants, you're probably not going to enjoy it, though. Um, if you don't like spice, you're probably not going to enjoy it. The communal table thing, they are a little awkward. They might want to, you know, take one of those tables out and spread them out a little more or something. But, you know, that means two less people get to eat there every night. And, you know, it's already tough to get into. Um, yeah, that's money in the pocket, too. Yeah. And I will, to get back, I just, um, you know, to that. The negative review, I mean, I think that the points were valid. I think the way it was framed as saying that the restaurant was just all marketing and there's nothing behind it and Gregory's not a good cook, like, I think that is too far. And, you know, I think was almost reactionary to the fact that it has gotten so much positive press and, you know, that there is this big marketing budget behind it and... You know, it seems almost like a civic duty to love con right now, um, which I could, I could see someone being upset about. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's funny. I, I, the, I think about that Esquire, the fact that like only one or two people brought up the Esquire thing to me. Like, I remember when I started in this beat, it was like 2011. Mm. I found out pretty quickly. The Esquire critic, his name was John Mariani. He's still around, does a newsletter. He didn't even come to Portland. <laughs> he had decided years before that he did not like farm-to-table cuisine, and he thought our servers were mean. And he also was like someone who really liked to take complimentary meals. He liked to ask for comps in advance, uh, you know, stuff that a lot of critics like me don't do uh, for ethical reasons. He was all about that life, free hotel stays, free restaurant meals. So Portland was not really about it either. And he just never came here. He didn't come here for like seven or eight years. And he missed out on Pock Pock and Beast and Ox and Le Pigeon and Toro Bravo, like all these famous restaurants that like, you know, not only were impactful for Portland, but actually influenced restaurants in Brooklyn and, you know, Mm -hmm. Austin, Oklahoma city, all around the country. So it's been a huge change. And like, clearly not every national magazine has a restaurant guide. Not everyone ranks their list, but no Portland restaurant has ever been number one on the ones that do that in history. And that was con. They got that award and they are cleaning up the local stuff. They were in a New York times, uh, similar new restaurant guide really early on, like six weeks in. Um, and you know, there's a, I wrote, uh, in the guide that there's a good chance Gregory Gourdet wins a James Beard award as the best new chef in the Northwest. He might win second James Beard award for the best new restaurant. Bon Appetit has a restaurant guide next year. They'll probably be in like, he's really cleaning up in other words. Yeah. Now you, you, uh, have laid a compelling case for any listener who hasn't been there, who hasn't, who hasn't risen to, to defend the honor of Khan on Twitter, which I thought was hilarious in the wake of that review. So, 
Um, oh, that uh, the tweet that some of the tweets went a little too far too, didn't they? <laughs> but uh, you know, if you only read Twitter, I think you would. Uh, <laughs> isn't this true at all times in life? But if you only read Twitter, I think you'd have a totally different opinion of what that review said. I mean, I think you wouldn't understand it at all. I think you'd think the writer was a. I saw someone call him a white supremacist. <laughs> I just like. Can we just pause a second? Like, I think you just thought it was too noisy. Like, you know. Yeah. Well, well we probably exhausted that. Um, it's, uh, <laughs> oh, well, it, wait, wait, wait. I will say before we move on. Anything God, else? Yeah, go I ahead. did write a guide to how to get into the restaurant because I uh, tried my best to only get in like a civilian would. Like, I am known to the restaurant. I'm known to Gregory. Therefore I'm known to his staff. They told me early on I could text a number and that I could probably get in with a little bit of advance notice, but I didn't want to do that because I didn't want to not know how it felt like to watch a reservation that you had in your cart disappear by the time you clicked confirm, (laughs) (laughs) which happened to me last month. So yeah, I've got some tips there. You know, they're the obvious things arrive early, arrive late. Sometimes they'll squeeze you in. Uh, you know, I, I tell you when to go to when the next reservation drops happen and uh, a few other tips. So you can find that, you know, maybe Google how to get a reservation at con. That'll come we'll up. We'll share, share a link in the episode notes, but you're saying that it's easier to get into con than it is to get Taylor Swift tickets, for example. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's probably true. Yeah. All right. All right. So, um, let's get to the, the guide. Uh, at this point, maybe we won't go through every single restaurant on the guide, but, um, I kind of want to zero in on, I guess we started with number one and kind of want to go right to number five oh, because that both works juicy. in terms of, uh, I don't know, symmetry in my mind, but also I'm familiar with the former occupancy of this space. Tell me about oh. Gabiano's. Right. So Gabbiano's is a sort of a red sauce Italian restaurant, meaning they cook Italian American food, specifically kind of what you think of as East Coast style Italian American food. A lot of marinara sauce on top of spaghetti and meatballs and chicken parmesan and things like that. It's, you know, things are modernized a little bit, but it really is pretty respectful to the tradition of Italian American cuisine. And one of the things I really liked about it was that a bunch of Portland restaurants were trying to make that concept happen before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I went to all of them and I thought all of them were either like too fancy or didn't really get it or were too expensive. And Gabbiano's, while it's not like cheap, cheap, I think spaghetti and meatballs, which is a pretty big plate, is $23. Mm. Uh, it comes with three big meatballs and a fair amount of spaghetti that they make in the restaurant. So while it's not like bone cheap, it is, you know, I think they get the spirit of what makes Italian American food delicious and fun. And I happen to have married into a family where <laughs> my father-in-law is Sicilian. So I have a lot of thoughts about this. My wife has even more thoughts than I do. And she's probably the most, you know, the world's biggest meatball critic, uh, at least in Portland. Um, and even she liked the meatballs at Gabbiano's. So this is the place like out of the top 10, I actually wrote, this is the place that I would go back to first on my own time and money. Um, you know, so it's kind of the shadow restaurant of the year in that sense. Uh, Cause I'll probably go back there first. And we mentioned Naomi Pomeroy earlier and beast. And obviously this isn't a, you know, right 
next door or a couple doors down from that old restaurant. Yeah, I think on, it's like literally 30. right next door. Yeah. And yeah. there was a place there for a long time called Yakuza, which was sort of Japanese and, you know, maybe wouldn't open as such concept today because of the question of a cultural appropriation, but it lasted a good long time there. And, you know, then was empty for a while. There was a vegan uh, Asian restaurant in there for a while. That went away. And the guys at Gabianos, I think they really have their finger on the pulse in terms of creating like a fun, lively restaurant that Portlanders are going to have fun at. The cocktails are awesome. Um, so, yeah, go to Gabianos, have fun, eat spaghetti. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure your wife has thoughts on White Lotus season two then as well. <laughs> uh, she's been busy. We haven't caught up on White Lotus season two, but she's been. Watching a lot of uh, Below Deck uh, to zone out after work. And, you know, there is an episode of Below Deck Med where the entire White Lotus season one uh, plot line about the the rich lady who's mourning somebody, like, absolute ripoff from Below Deck Med. So if you're uh, if you ever watch that show, you'll see that episode and you'll be like, oh my gosh, that's exactly where they got White Lotus from. <laughs> like, beat for beat. It's incredible. Um, well, let's, let's just jump on the list to another pasta spot, maybe for oh some God, reason. There's so uh, much pasta. I, I gotta say there's so much pasta. And I even got an email <laughs> from a restaurant owner. Hey, how come you, how come my place wasn't on your list? I said, well, look, man, like there were maybe eight new pasta places that opened and I'm doing a top 10. Like it can't all, <laughs> I think Portland's <laughs> appetite for pasta is, uh, higher than mine for uh, putting pasta places on my top 10 guide, you know. Portland's anyway, yes. going to need a long, long walks, lots of long walks in, in 2023. <laughs> indeed, indeed. <laughs> All right, but, well, but yes. talk about number 10. Number 10 is um, another pop-up, Pastaficio de Oro. This place started as sort of like a Monday-only thing at a St. John's pizzeria called Gracie's of Pizza. Uh, you know, St. John's, one of my favorite neighborhoods in the city spent many a happy night out there, but you know, probably better known for their dive bars and their restaurants overall. And Gracie's of pizza came along. They were doing, you know, a really personal take on these wood fired pizzas. And the owner there kind of reached out to these kids who were selling fresh made pasta on Instagram, invited them down. And the hook at pasta Ficio de Oro is that, they're not just making fresh pasta. They're rolling out the, they're making the dough by hand. They're rolling it out with this long wooden pin called a mattarello. They're then, you know, forming the pasta by hand. They're not using any machines, not even no extruders, no sheeters, no things like even at a place like Grasa, which makes mm -hmm. fresh pasta. Even there, you look in the window, they're using some machines. So this is like intense, hard labor, you know, all done by hand, just like a, an Italian grandma might do in. Bologna. Um, and uh, the folks up there, Chase Dobson and Maggie Irwin are their names. A very sweet couple. Um, she makes this really fun tangy dressing that goes with, with honey in it that goes on these great salads that everyone loves. Good wine. You can order cocktails from this bar next door. The pastas are fun. Uh, and, you know, they uh, in November, took over the space full time. So I don't, I feel a little odd putting full on pop-ups on my restaurant guide. I usually try to limit it to places that are open four nights a week at a minimum, um, just so that people can get in. Um, yeah. And you know, the, these guys really like converted from a pop-up to a restaurant very recently. So I, I snuck them on and it's worth a trip out there. 
um, which you can pair with a movie at the great St. John's Twin Cinema. There you go. Um, all right. Well, I didn't really intend to talk about pasta, but it did jump out from your guide. Um, and, you know, I'm a fan of a delicious pasta meal. So I guess that's why I zeroed in on that. But um, what else? I'll kind of leave it up to you. Anything else from your guide that you would want to highlight? Yeah. I mean, I would recommend going to get a burger at Pasture, which is this like sustainable deli on Alberta Street. Great burgers and sandwiches. Uh, they, you know, house cure and brine their own meats. So um, they have relationships with farmers that do regenerative agriculture. That's great. I would recommend getting the fried chicken at Rangoon Bistro, which mm-hmm. is a uh, Burmese restaurant. But two of the chefs that own it met while working at an Italian restaurant in Malaysia. <laughs> Hence, some of the dishes on their menu, including this very Malaysian fried chicken that reminded me of hot yai, if you've had hot yai's fried chicken. But I actually prefer Rangoon Bistros because it's just a little juicier. Uh, but, you know, Malaysia and Southern Thailand share a very, very slim border. Um, so, yeah, the, the flavor profile is similar. Uh, and then, you know, Bluto's is uh, Rick Gencarelli's Greek restaurant that's really more of a Mediterranean restaurant. And his like amazing flatbread and hummus. Uh, I just say go in there, order flatbread, order hummus, order maybe some chicken skewers and call it a day. So those are three other great options from the list. And you know what? Go read the whole thing. All the restaurants on there are good. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Jojo is a, a favorite of my family's, um, especially my, my small children who like the burgers a lot. So um, yeah, there's a lot on there for, anyone to dive into um what about next year anything coming that you've got your eye on i know we kind of talk about this where you've you know, usually you have an inkling of things that might be coming yeah that's a great question um usually i've already written about a few places there oh this place is coming in a few months but I, the you know the cabinet is pretty bare and you know not to end on a super downer note but this was like a tough year for restaurants and a lot of places open and closed in a year, I mean, Sunshine Noodles uh, was a sort of Cambodian noodle place that I kind of only fell in love with like last month and mm. then went three times in a row to order the same dish, which is called Lort Cha. And they will be gone by the time you're hearing this podcast. Um, you know, one of my absolute favorite restaurants of the year was this Mexican seafood pop-up um, in the back of Guero called mm-hmm. Paradise Mariscos. It was so good. And I know the chef is working on something, so hopefully that comes to fruition. But uh, at the moment, that is not even happening. So it was tough to find the sort of 25 restaurant nominees that I put together um, uh, a couple months back. And uh, the top 10 I thought was pretty solid, but um, usually I'm able to come up with like 40 or 50 new restaurants that I really like. And then I pick from those and, you know, that was not this year by any stretch of the imagination. You think the fundamentals we talked about at the beginning, Michael, where, you know, you're going to have these vacant spaces and kind of scrappy underdogs getting a chance. You think that's still going to be the case going into 2023 or are we pivoting? (laughs) I just said, I'm not, not, maybe not even going to answer your question here, but I just had this memory of going by this barbecue place that had gotten written up. Uh, not by me, but I, I, I went over there. 
I ordered a few things and I was on my bike. So I said, can I get a bag? I'll put it in my basket. And the chef goes, oh, we don't have any bags. Here, I got you. And he takes out a roll of like masking tape and just like <laughs> wraps the three like, you know, cartons of food together <laughs> into this like insane, into this like tight, tight bundle. Uh, <laughs> where it was like, you know, like, like cinched together in the middle, like a belt. And then I, I rode home on my bicycle and like little bits of macaroni were flying out onto the street. And, uh, anyway, that restaurant did not make it uh, for a, through the year, but, uh, uh, you know, rest in peace. Um, you want to say your question again or should we just leave it at that? I think we should leave it at, I kind of like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's kind of a metaphor maybe of where we're at. Well, enjoy your walk. Uh, <laughs> Thank and you. thanks for taking time to talk. Need 20,000 steps a day to, uh, burn off those calories, man. I, I did go to about 75 restaurants, uh, basically in, uh, late September through early November. So, uh, yeah, ready to not be doing that anymore for a little bit. All right. Well, thanks for doing all that and conveying it all to us here as you walk. Appreciate it. Someone's got to do it. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. I shared links to Michael's restaurant guide in the episode notes, including how to get into con if you're lucky. If you like this show, give us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps people find the show and tell a friend. Help spread the word. The best way to support our journalism, like our unrivaled look at the restaurant scene in Portland each year, is with a subscription to Oregon Live. You can do that at OregonLive.com slash pod support. Until next time.